welcome to another episode of the Fart Post podcast. My name is Marissa. I will be your captain today. Joining me on this flight will be Samantha Lewis, Angela Christian Wilkes, and Anna Harrington. It's been actually a relatively quiet week, but we did have a major final, the FA Cup final, and that is worth talking about. So we will jump right into that. But of course, we must start as we always do with our in-flight uh, safety demonstration, otherwise known as the You Love to See It. So, Harrow, what did you love to see this week? Marissa, apart from that uh, really, really stressed <laughs> metaphor. <laughs> uh, sometimes it's good and sometimes it's bad. I'm not saying it was bad. No, it really good off for me. <laughs> yeah. No. I love to see um, one of our favourites on the pod, Jenna McCormick, who's been working hard in Spain and she earned her debut um, for Real Betis. Unfortunately, they lost 5-0 to Barcelona and poor old Jenna scored an own goal five minutes um, so five minutes after coming onto the pitch. So not a great day, but it is always nice to see a player make their debut. So Jenna McCormick getting some, I guess, runs on the board. You love to see it. You love to see it, and you love to see it, but including the right goal. Claire Polkinghorne scored a goal for her team in Norway. You don't see Polk's score many. She's usually the one champing at the bit, going bananas on the celebration. So the fact that she was the one scoring the goal, you love to see it. Angela, what did you love to see this weekend? Uh, I'm probably not the only one um who love to see this, but Sandy McIver's performance um, as Everton's keeper yesterday in the FA Cup final, uh, she was outstanding. I think a lot of people n- noticed that and especially, I think, save of the game, which really kept Everton in it. Um, you thought it was in. Chloe Kelly took a shot and MacGyver, I can't remember, she wasn't, she was off frame for some reason, but then just sort of came out of nowhere and managed to bop it over and it was, I don't know, I fantastic. I love to see that and that was like probably the highlight of the match for me and also just more broadly the keeping that we're seeing from a lot of um, WSL teams at the moment. I'm sure we'll be able to expand on that in more depth another time, but MacGyver's among one of the younger English keepers um, playing in the league. I know this is the FA Cup, but two WSL teams um, who's really just putting in some fantastic performances. So, yeah, you love to see it. I guess Angela wasn't the only one to love Sandy McIver's performances either. I follow um, the Everton legend and also Wales legend Neville Southall on Twitter, um, just general top bloke, but was clearly tuning into the game and really appreciated Sandy McIver's performance. So he actually tweeted at her directly to say, congratulations, brilliant display of goalkeeping. He actually tweeted at Everton to say, fantastic goalkeeping display. He sent a nice message to Everton to say that they had fantastic spirit and determination. But I think my favourite was um, someone posted her three fantastic saves and someone replied saying, she's the best keeper we've had since Neville Southall. And he replied saying, I hope she's better, mate. So Neville Southall. I'd love to see it. Bit of Keepers Union action over in the UK. Incredibly wholesome stuff. And sticking with the Everton theme, Sam, what did you love to see this weekend? 
So, yeah, keeping with the FA Cup final uh, and keeping with Everton, I loved to see uh, Valerie Gauvin, uh Everton's classic number nine, the striker who came across from Montpellier this year. She's just been unbelievable. She scored the winning goal against Chelsea in the quarterfinal. She uh, scored the goal to keep Everton at 1-1 and take Manchester City to extra time in the final. Um, and I feel like women's football really just doesn't have many players like this woman. She does, she reminds me so much of Olivier Giroud and those sorts of those number nines that you talk about when you talk about like sort of the 80s and 90s types of strikers. And she's so classy on the ball. And I'm pretty sure she was clinically dead when she scored that goal. She had been destroyed by multiple other players during this game. And, you know, she hobbled off at halftime and everyone thought that she was going to be out for the rest of it. But no, she just strapped up basically her own knee and uh, and came back onto the field and, and, like, played out the rest of the 90 minutes. Like, she was extraordinary. Um, so, yeah, and obviously the, the, the name, the pun writes itself, right? Valerie uh, Golvan. Uh, yeah, her just being awesome. You love to see it. You love to see it, and you always love a goal description that includes the phrase clinically dead. (laughs) Oh, boy, wowee. Anyway, that's enough of that. So, as we said, FA Cup final, Manchester City won 3-1 on the 50th anniversary of the first FA Cup game, which was a nice little bit of symbolism there. It's City's third FA Cup in four seasons, which just really shows what a juggernaut they are. We'll put our Aussie hats on first, I suppose. We did have Hayley Razo playing for Everton. Angela, I'm interested in your thoughts on her performance and in particular a a battle that she was a part of. Yeah, Hayley Razo and Lucy Bronze was not a duel I thought I needed in my life until it happened (laughs) yesterday. And I've written here in the notes, I don't know if it's too abstract a reference, but it was very much like, mother, I crave violence. Like they were (laughs) going at each other. Um, Lucy Bronze got a yellow card for a a challenge on Rasso. I think Rasso was heading towards the goal and had quite a good opportunity and Lucy Bronze basically just collected her, um, came underneath with a slide tackle. and then I, Rasso was pretty nippy back after that as well. Um, so, yeah, it was really fun to watch the two of them. I think Lucy Bronze is quite a, a physically, like, very strong defender and can match up pretty well with everyone um, she comes up against. But Rasso, I think, really showed up for the occasion there. So that was really fun to see. Sam, you wrote about the game for Optus Sport. I think we've given that a retweet. But what did you make of the game for those who want to hear your thoughts instead of just reading them? Yeah, so I think even though a lot of Aussies were probably rooting for the underdog because the underdog had a Matilda in their side, it was. Uh, I think it was a game that felt pretty foregone um, in a lot of ways. You know, it was a Manchester City side that was defending the title um, since they became a fully professional outfit in 2014. They have won seven major titles uh, across multiple competitions. So, and and they have you know at least a dozen uh, current Lionesses players lining up for them. So. Yeah, I mean, I think despite um, Everton's flying form in the Super League and despite um, their 
pretty um, extraordinary performance against Chelsea. Manchester City were were just a class above, and even though they had sort of stuttered um, at the start of the Super League this season, I think that this is the game where they uh, they knew what they had to do. They'd been there before, um, they'd done it before, and I think they finally started to feel like, perhaps based on the fact that they had already beaten Everton in another competition only a couple of weeks ago. Um, they probably felt like this was a, a pretty safe uh, game for them. But Everton, I mean, all credit to them. Like they, they, they've made them work for it and Manchester City had to find solutions to problems that Everton was creating for them. But it was frustrating for me to watch Everton, particularly in the first half, because they were so uh, nervous and they were so um, focused on trying to prevent Manchester City from doing anything that they – they sort of neutered themselves. They stopped doing the thing that they are really good at. And that was ultimately the thing that helped, number one, get them the goal and created some of their best opportunities, particularly in the second half and in extra time. So it was it was a frustrating game to watch, I think, from that perspective because you just you, you sort of wonder what could have happened in the first 45 if Everton had been like, you know what, fuck it. Let's just play our game. Let's do what we've done up until now. And let's see how they respond to that. Because I think if they had caught Manchester City early, like Hayley Rasso almost did in the 15th minute when she got through and was taken out by Lucy Bronze, I think it would have, the game would have had an entirely different complexion. Sam, just to bounce off that, I wonder how much it hurt that Claire Emsley has been ineligible for the FA Cup because I think she's just been such a great addition to Everton this season. And I think it works really well. With Razo, when you rely on wingers and you rely on pace out wide, you just want to have that extra bit of unpredictability. I think just, you know, everyone, Hayley Razo is very good at what she does, but you know what she's going to do. You know what she's good at. Whereas if you have that other wing there, I think you can kind of balance it out a bit with those real sort of gut-busting runs that Emsley likes to do, whether you start her, whether you bring her on. Obviously, they didn't have that option. I just feel like they would have loved to have had her there. Just, I think she's a sort of player that, a lot of a lot of people don't always notice. Or I know this was the case at Melbourne City. Um, when you're watching the game, you don't necessarily notice everything she does when she's there. But if she's not there, you notice what your team's lacking and just her absolute workhorse does all the little things right and is quite a clinical, um, I guess, creator and finisher as well. You just think, geez, you'd love to have been able to, I don't know, get the paperwork sorted a bit earlier because. She is just a special player, so. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it was, you know, Everton, the way that Everton have set up in the league so far has been using those quick wide players with uh, Valerie Govan in the middle. And that has sort of been their whole attacking philosophy. And it's worked beautifully for them so far. But having having that uh, that one side of the field sort of uh, slowed down, I think that, that sort of affected their ability to go forward in the ways that they're more comfortable doing. Um, but more generally, Harry, like that's a, that's a good point where we talk about squad depth, right? Um, and ultimately, I think it was squad depth that won Manchester City the game because you saw the players that they were able to bring on um, towards the end of the game and into extra time, Georgia Stanway and Jess Park in particular, um, two young you know, English, English strikers, both of whom were absolutely electric when they came on and they set up and scored uh, the the winning goal and the and the, the third to, to cap it off for, for Manchester City. Whereas Everton didn't have the same depth; they obviously don't have the same resources to be able to attract uh, players of that quality to them. 
Um, and you sort of saw that, you know, one of the one of Everton's substitutes that came on sort of, I think, in, maybe in extra time, you could tell she hadn't played uh, very much and she, she gave a couple of really basic passes away and lost the ball quite a bit. Uh, but ultimately, I think Man City probably should have won the game uh, towards the end of the, of the 90. Uh, Caroline Weir had a number of extraordinary opportunities on goal, um, as did Chloe Kelly. But Sandy McIver was just, she was just like, at, like operating at some sort of subatomic level where she just understood <laughs> physics differently and she was just like, it was like matrix level sorts of shit. It was amazing. Um, but, yeah, I think I, so, uh, like, ultimately my, my reading of the game was that Everton, you know, they they posed a good challenge, but I think it was pretty inevitable that City would come away with the win. I feel like this is going to be the game where City can really take something away in terms of finding their teeth up forward. I think early in the season they looked so toothless and obviously – um, there's been some change. They brought in Chloe Kelly, who was always going to take time to find her feet. They had to decide what sort of balance they wanted. I think they'll take a heap out of not only the winning goal from um, Georgia Stanway, but the fact that they were then able to double down again and get a, a third goal. The really nice ball from Stanway through to Becky to to finish things off. I think that would be really huge for them in terms of grinding out results because Everton, they seem to have got the better of. Obviously, well, they have got the better of these two times. But against Arsenal and Chelsea, who can always dig out another goal, I think it would be really pleasing for them to say, "Okay, we've managed to break down a good team that's been really solid defensively. Not get, not just get one goal late, but get a second one." And the way that they scored them, I think, would be really pleasing because we we know that Sam Mewis and Rose Lavelle have had it, added a bit, but they've got so many pieces to try and fit in Man City. And I think the question over them has been especially in terms of the FAWSL title, how many points are they going to drop because they drop points against teams where they're not able to score a huge number of goals? So you just have to have one shaky moment in defence and you drop two points or all three, whereas Arsenal don't necessarily have that issue because they just smack goals past people at will. So I think that would be something that they would really take a lot of heart out of, it, along with the obvious uh, trophy. But, yeah, I feel like this is City starting to really hit their stride and you hope for Everton this is just a speed bump and it isn't that they start to decelerate from here. Yeah I think it was a few weeks ago I noted that City sort of weren't rising to the occasion in the way that you think they would with the talent that they have but I think that FA Cup final I was like this this is City football this is exactly what I sort of expect from this side and just did it cheeky dig here but you mentioned Sam that they do invest in younger players so 19 year old Jess Park who came on um, I think it was in extra time but she I think she had a really good performance there and um, Stanway obviously with the goal and the assist as well Melbourne City where you at you should be (laughs) you should be (laughs) investing in the youth too because you have the resources to pull in players like equivalents to that over here um, obviously City are very good at bringing in Matildas, Melbourne City, sorry, are very good at bringing in Matildas, but it's those younger players and that development, bringing people on for the long board that they're sort of lacking. And we will touch on that, I think, in our dub chat. There was some exciting signings for on that sort of area of long-term investment. But, yeah, um, sorry, City, just had to get that one in there. Yeah, one last thing I think is worth mentioning with the City performance as well is what on earth is happening with Rose Lavelle? I have a number of American uh, sort of people that I follow who are just like, Gareth Taylor, 
Like you're a handsome fella, but what are you doing? Why are you why are you using <laughs> why are you using Rose Lavelle in ways that she is obviously not equipped to? I mean, she can she can play on the left wing and in wide positions just fine, but that's not why she's brilliant. She's brilliant as a central midfielder. We saw that during the Women's World Cup. So it seems so Hara, you addressed this, right? It's about how do you fit all of these extraordinary players together in a system that maximizes all of their potential? I feel like Rose Lavelle at the moment is the player that's being left out in some ways because they can't find the place for her in midfield because they basically just have too many good midfielders and they can't find the right way to use her. So whether or not that sort of comes back to bite them, I think is going to be pretty interesting because like if you've got someone like Rose Lavelle on your team and you're not absolutely building things around her, what are you doing? Yeah, Sam, we mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, like Mewis, Lavelle, it's it's a combination that's won a World Cup. Like it's not like you're just doing it, looking at this on potential. City have got these great midfielders and it's something that came up when, for example, Sam Kerr went to Chelsea. I remember seeing talk out of the UK like, oh, but how are you going to fit Sam Kerr in around Frank Kirby and Beth England and Ramona Buckman and all these players? And you're like, no, no, you bring in the gun player to start them all the time until they tell you, until they show that they're, I guess, not working. Like, you make your team work around your gun recruits. Like, and Rose Lavelle's just such a good player. And as you say, Sam, so creative. And it seems like they're getting so much use out of Sam Mewis by using her the right way. And she's just been superb and we saw for that um that opening goal as well, just the way she can use her strength and height. But to not maximize Rose Lavelle just is odd. Like, and when you're a team that has struggled to really connect and create good chances, and as I said before, it's something that stood out late. Get your most creative player doing all the right things. Get a front facing goal. Get a in a position where she can pick out those players and be the maestro and create things and you can then reap the rewards. It seems pretty straightforward. But, exactly. Uh, this was the game that needed Rose Lavelle to be unlocking a defence like that because Everton's defence have been so solid for so long. But Lavelle is the kind of player who sees things differently and has the technique and the skill and the vision to be able to find that pass, to pick that option. You know, we had to see Sam Mewis charging in from deep positions in midfield in order to get into goal-scoring opportunities because Ellen White my Ellen wife, Ellen White, she's not in form and she's not she's not able to bang goals away and move into positions that she needs to be in. So having someone like Lavelle there who is able to open things up and take opportunities herself because she has a gun of a foot, a traction engine of a foot, it just it's it's beyond me how she's not being used properly. And if there's any team in the world that's used to playing against stacked defences, it's the US Women's National Team. Everyone does it against them all the time. Exactly. Everyone plays defensively against the best team in the world. So if you're the team that's got to break down defences, you best to have the players that know how to do that. So uh, no, I think we're on the same page here, Sam. Just Lavelle frustrations. And, yeah, you hope – well, for their sake, you'd hope it doesn't come back to bite them. I'm sure uh, Arsenal and – Chelsea and Man United will be very happy to see Rose Lavelle out on the wing or pushing into a nine role. But, yeah, I don't think that's where she's going to be maximised. So that's the FA Cup final. As we said, that was really the only big game this weekend that we could all watch and analyse and dissect. So now is a perfect time to rifle through the mailbag and do some question time because we ask for your questions a lot and then we've kind of 
ended up with a stack of them. So now is the time we're going to answer some questions. So we'll kickstart with one from Hannah. Haro, I'll pose this to you because you you have some thoughts and opinions on this. Uh, So Hannah asks, looking ahead to 2023, what would you like tourists to do slash know in order to have the best experience possible or just to not be obnoxious? Well, I'm going to answer the second part of that question because (laughs) I know Hannah and Hannah is American, so she needs to know this part. Based on our experience at uh, France last year, the one thing you can do to not be obnoxious is not regroup. Now, everyone in this chat knows what a regroup is. It's when you're just trying to get somewhere, whether it's at the uh, airport, at a stadium, at a station, and a group of Americans decide that it's the perfect time to call a family or friends regroup, uh, gather around y'all, get the map out, get the phone out, <laughs> in the most inconvenient st- spot, top of an escalator, I don't know, near the entrance, train platform. It's never a convenient spot. It's always Americans. And we're just not big fans of it here at the Far Post Pod. So if you don't want to be obnoxious in 2023, do not assemble in a regroup in inconvenient places. To be safe, don't do it at all. <laughs> that's uh, that's a, a tip in terms of the uh, obnoxious side of things. Um, guys, anything in terms of the having, I guess, a good experience? Apart from don't wrong me. I was. I like how you spoke for everyone. You're like us at the far post. Hate this. <laughs> Where's the line, Angela? I mean, I'm with you on that. I was just imagining then people regrouping um, at like the bottom of the escalators in Melbourne Central. If anyone's familiar, I hate Melbourne Central. Oh, what horrendous. a concept. Advice for tourists: if you're on the city loop, avoid avoid Melbourne Central, the worst train station. Um, but speaking of public transport, um. Perth is really far away, so you're only going to be able to get there by plane, I think. We used to have two decent, cheap plane companies. Oh, decent's a stretch. Cheap plane (laughs) airline things in Australia. Um, Unfortunately, Tiger Air are no longer with us. Rest in peace. Um, But if you book with Jetstar, the other one, always make sure to go as early in the morning as possible because then it you reduce the chances of your flight being delayed or cancelled. I learnt that. Um, Greyhound is a great little option for going up and down the East Coast. You can get a pass there. Uh, V-Line is pretty cheap but not the best. Um, yeah. There's like one good seat on the V-Line as well. Just message me on Twitter if you want to know. I can send you a diagram. Um, <laughs> what else? And my recommendations for a good hostel chain are just the YHA. Really solid if you're doing it that way. I'm already planning in my head because the one thing that stresses me about having the World Cup in Australia is our – Australia is quite big and then New Zealand is also far away. So getting between places, that's going to be interesting. We don't have the the zoomies that they have in Europe. Um, So, yeah. it's quietly ticking away in the back of my brain that I need to like book things now, which I don't need to. But anyway, <laughs> there's my public transport tips for the world. Just take that into consideration. Maybe maybe have a think about it before you rock up in Australia. 
Yeah, no, I'll stem from that as well. I can only speak from a, a Sydney siders experience, but I think the vast majority of people of international travellers will probably come in through Sydney or will visit a stadium in Sydney at some point. It's unfortunate. Um, hey. <laughs> it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate. Yes, okay. So tip number one for international travellers, there is a feud that is ongoing between <laughs> Sydney and Melbourne. Which to, you, you need to be up to date with this feud, I have to say, and all of its contours, okay, before you get here. And But the second actual serious piece of advice is Sydney uh, public transport operates with a single very reliable uh, card called an Opal card. You buy it at Sydney Airport. It gets you on trains. It gets you on buses. It gets you on trams. It gets you on basically every piece of public transport in and around Sydney, which you will need in order to visit all of the stadiums that you're going to be um, going to in New South Wales. So um, I I highly recommend investing in one of those Opal cards um, for whatever stretch of time you're in Sydney for. Um, because it's it's just super convenient, and all of the term, all of the um, like the um, the things that you have to walk through when you're going like through train stations and stuff, they they all require Opal cards to to use. You can't use paper tickets anymore; you have to use Opal. So yeah, so that's that's my my actual serious um, adult boring travel tip for Sydney. I got a fun one. Um, in terms of going to the pub. You should know the difference between, especially Melbourne and Sydney. Melbourne, most pubs, you can get pints, the big ones, pots, the small ones, and jugs, uh, jugs of beer. Like, I don't need to explain that to you. That's about two and a half pints, though. Um, whereas in Sydney, go to, I think Sam would probably agree, will be a schooner, which is basically between a, between a pot and a pint. Very easy amount to drink. It's a... Uh, Sydney ciders would say that it's the best size of drink and I'm not going to validate them, but it is very good. Um, so that's something you need to know. Um, otherwise, I guess I think the thing with both Sydney and, well, definitely Melbourne is if we don't have to stay in the CBD, probably don't. Like it's very easy to get on public transport and get an Airbnb or a lot of the hostels actually, and I know Angela mentioned the YHA, a lot of sort of are around Carlton and that sort of area too. So if you can avoid sort of being in the CBD, especially around sort of King Street and stuff, don't need to be there. I'd say that you can be sort of on the outskirts of those sort of all those inner suburbs and have a really nice experience and tram or train in and about and find nice little areas and really settle down because the thing that is going to take its toll if you're travelling about is it's not driving one or two hours or getting a train for one or two hours. You're often flying. And they're big trips, and if you are driving, they're even bigger trips. So when you are based in certain cities, really take the opportunity to sort of settle down and have a spot and explore. And I guess the other thing is take advantage of the next three years to talk to as many Aussies as possible because we're very – We'll give you all the tips. Yes, we'll give you all the local recommendations. This is the thing, like all the – it's the same in every city around the world, right? Like every every major tourist trap, everything is always expensive and it's always shit. So make sure you tell tell ask locals what their best recommendations are for food, for bars, for any of that sort of stuff because we know all the good secret spots that are usually pretty affordable. Also on that note, St Kilda has a lot of hostels, but St Kilda is um, uh, they say beach. I think it's actually a dumpster bin perhaps. I'm not sure. <laughs> it's like a real popular spot with backpackers. That's a big thing if you go into the beach. Sydney and north, well, actually south coast up is good. Melbourne, 
you don't go to the beach in Melbourne. It's not worth it. Marissa, have you got a golden tip? Apart from oh. fair evasion is a crime. Fear evasion is a crime. <laughs> Don't do it. I think but generally yeah. if you just are respectful and nice to people, Australians and Kiwis for that matter, are super friendly. Um, it's something that I think we notice when we go away from home and definitely when people come over here they notice is there is literally the how are you going, you know, can I help you, you look lost. Like most people are pretty helpful so I think you – you don't have to actually struggle your way through it too much. I think people will be pretty happy to point you in the right direction. I think something else I would say as well, like we've absolutely spent too much time on this segment, but one of the things that I definitely would say is that even though it's one of the criticisms that's been levelled at our bid is the fact that all of the all of the different the various cities are so far apart, one of the things that I absolutely love about Australia is our landscapes. So, like, even though, like, flying is going to be a, a huge thing for a lot of people getting from city to city, if you can find ways to slow down and to take the scenic route, to catch a train, to rent a car, to do something like that and actually travel and see Australia's coastlines and its bushland and its deserts, absolutely do it because it is stunning. It's it's unique um, and it's it's something that I have, have I've just like it's it's part of my DNA the the sort of the space that I live in so I'd, I'd love to be able to share that with people who come here. The public train from Sydney to Newcastle is like one of the prettiest mm. trips ever. You go through like um, Central Coast. It's I love it. That's definitely a, a slow but scenic route to consider if you're making that journey at some point. Oh, and absolutely do the cliche thing of going to feed the kangaroos and the koalas and all that sort of stuff because that's the thing that everyone wants to see. They want to see your photos with those sorts of animals and they're cool. We have really cool, weird animals. We should definitely see them. It's going to be a different World Cup um, compared to like a France and a European experience, but I think it will still be a belter because if there's one thing we know how to do, it's to, to host a big event. Just speak to anyone that went to the Sydney Olympics. Just to like nicely sum that up, Australia and New Zealand are very far away from most of the world. So if you are coming, make the most of that trip because you're probably not going to get to do it again because it is so far away and it is so expensive. So if you do commit to doing it, make it worth your while, do everything you can, go everywhere you can, and you are guaranteed to have a good time. So please come visit us. And also get in touch with the Far Post and we can maybe organise like a pod night and we can like all of the overseas travellers can like meet up at a pub somewhere. We can have like a live recording. Oh, my God, wouldn't that be fun? Because, guys, oh if there's, God, one the pod- thing, there's one thing you should remember about this experience is that it's all about us. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Completely. Yeah. Entirely. But also, oh, my God, the pod's still going in 2023. What a, a triumph. If we okay, tattoo packed. If we are oh still God, going, go. <laughs> <laughs> it's happened again. Tattoo packed number two. If the podcast is still going by twenty twenty three, we all all four of us are going to get far post tattoos. That's not our own faces on ourselves, is it? <laughs> if it's Melon, I'm we cool have to with get that. each other's faces. It's like Secret Santa. You pick a name out of the hat, and that's who you get tattooed. <laughs> three of us just get Marissa. <laughs> and Marissa also gets Marissa. You poor things. <laughs> we should have really dimmed this up. <laughs> but no, all right, another tack packed. We're we're just going to be covered. 
Anywho, so I suppose then bouncing off of 2023 off the pitch, we can now move to on the pitch kind of questions. And Bonnie asked, with international travel not happening for the foreseeable future and COVID wreaking havoc in the States and Europe, do you think that the Roni will have an impact on 2023? I think the short answer is, God, we hope not. But, um, yeah, I I'm not sure I'm opening up this one to the floor. Yeah, it's hard to say, you know, everything is so up in the air. It's the same question that we're asking about the Olympics next year, which is a, a much more immediate concern. But even then, we still have no idea. We don't know what this virus is doing. And a lot of it depends on how and whether international governments and other organisations can cooperate and work together to try and stamp this out, you know. Um, I think when we talk about the impact on 2023, The impact that I see um, happening is not so much about whether the tournament will go ahead, which I think it will, but about the kinds of teams and the quality of those teams that are going to be on the pitch in 2023. Because the next three years are really, really important in terms of um, embedding particularly younger players into national team setups, players who are going to be reaching their peaks in and around World Cup time. So if these uh, years are quite significantly disrupted for a lot of these players, it could put them back by a good year or two um, and they may not actually be reaching their performance peaks by the time they need to. So the actual sort of long-term four-year calendar cycles are being quite thrown because of the Rona at the moment. Um, And so whether that has a serious impact on the actual development of players and how that manifests come 2023 is going to be the big question, I think. The, the short-term version of that question came from Ben. We've already spoken about how the November camp's been called off because it's just straight up not safe to be playing international football at the moment. He said, uh, given the pandemic and the fact that the vast majority of the Matildas are now based in Europe, would they be playing more games over there in the next six to eight months? But like we said, we just can't at the moment. I don't know if heading into 2021 that changes things, but uh, Harrow, interested in your thoughts on this? Yeah, well, we know obviously the November window is a write-off for the Matildas. I think the next international break after that is in February. So we could be in a different situation in terms of Europe would be starting to come out of winter. They're all going into lockdown now. I think if competitions continue to go ahead, the uh, Matildas will still largely be based over there. So just looking at it logically, if there's an opportunity to have camps and friendlies with the Matildas and Tony based over there, then that's probably where it's going to happen because I guess the alternative, if you want to look very negatively, is a lot of competitions stop going ahead and players come home and they get Tony over and have camps here. But then you don't know if you can really have any games other than against, say, New Zealand. So I think it's just a very difficult one to answer. I think If you're looking at it straight down the line, you'd say, well, the most obvious thing is our players are based over there. All the elite teams that we want to play are based over there. So if there's an opportunity to tee up friendlies, you'll want to do it against European nations. Uh, We do also have that agreement with the US to play games, though I can't see us going over there anytime soon. Whether they want to get into a bubble and come over here, that I guess could go ahead. But I think there's still so much up in the air that I can't really say anything conclusive on it we just don't know and I think that's going to be the case for a while but we've we've seen with the international football especially the men's football but also the women's euro qualifiers 
how many players, backroom staff, coaches have got the virus from going away and playing international football. So I guess as frustrating as it would have been for our Matildas that they're not getting out there and getting in camps, getting games, you can understand the call for them and the Socceroos as well not to put them in an environment where they're going to be at more risk of contracting this this virus because you look at, um, I think Liverpool's a really good example in the men where you have players that have gone away on international duty and come back and not been able to play because they've contracted the virus away. So I think right now it's all just up in the air and we just can't really answer either way. And we saw as much with the FFA cancelling planned activity for both the Socceroos and the Matildas recently. I think it's great that it's not great that they had to cancel it, but um, with everything that's going on in Europe, it was nice to see that that was prioritised and that players aren't being put in those sorts of situations. So that, yeah, really, I think sort of the, the bare minimum, but also good leadership at the same time when you compare it to other places and what's going on there. So, yeah. I think probably a shout out is needed to the PFA um, for that because they would have been probably leading the charge when it comes to the concerns that players were having about going away um, and potentially contracting the virus. Because again, like we have no idea how, if our players did contract the Rona, we have no idea how they would have responded to it or whether or like some of them could have died. You know, like there's no telling how, people react to contracting this virus. And so, yeah, I think it's it's imp- it's really, really important. Like, fucking football doesn't matter. Like, if, if this is life and death, if these are people who are protecting their health by turning down football, fine, that's great. I realise there's a lot of money involved and a lot of people disappointed in their careers, whatever, but, you know, you're alive. So be grateful. I think people forget, we talk about athletes being some of the healthiest people in the world, but... Also, they can be far more susceptible to things because they are pushing their bodies to the limit all the time, like physically and then mentally they're tying themselves out. Like their immune systems can be just sort of on that knife's edge. And at the end of the day, the most important thing is that these players, these girls and the boys as well, that they're being looked after and they're safe and they're, they're happy. They might not be happy that they're, play, that they're not playing, but that they're in a position where they're all away from their families, they're all away from a lot of their friends, they're on the other side of the world. The least I think that can be done is to ensure that if we're going to look at things like international activity, it's done safely, and if we don't feel like it can be done safely, then clearly that was the best option to to not do it at all. All right. So we've had some W League news as well, literally a few hours before we started recording. So it's exciting stuff. Well, not if you're a Perth fan, it's very not good stuff actually if you're a Perth fan. So Bobby Despotovsky has stepped down from Perth Glory, which means they do not have a coach in addition to them not having announced any players signed. And to kind of add to the shit heap, Kim Carroll has confirmed that she has left Perth as well and will be returning to Brisbane Raw. So Bobby Despotovsky leading Perth, thoughts, feelings, opinions. We know Bobby Despotovsky has been a just a massive figure at Perth Glory. He was a player in the NSL and then obviously he's been the WA coach for several years now. I guess presided over a period where they were really in contention, took over after Jamie Harnwell left and played a big role in terms of, I guess, making Sam Kerr the focal point of his team and trying to get basically going with a Perth approach. It was if we can get the best out of Sam Kerr, we can get the best out of this team, which it made Sam Kerr a marquee player in the W League. It 
showcased what she could do. It obviously built on her confidence when she came back from injuries. And I don't think you can really underestimate just in terms of getting her confidence up, the what that would have done for Sam in terms of, I guess, making her mark. Perth have been pretty consistently in the mix, um, I guess, bar last season um, when they were without Sam. Um, so, yeah, it was a, I think it was a pretty uh, relatively successful era, albeit Melbourne City also came in at the same time and won almost every trophy. Um, I think it's a big loss for Perth. Um, clearly someone who cares a lot about the game, cares about his players, cares about WA football. And, um, yeah, that's a lot of experience to go out of the club. Yeah, and bouncing off that, Harrow, I mean, it's uh, he wasn't just responsible for bringing someone like Sam Kerr through and surrounding her with some really top-quality internationals. You know, we saw Nikki Stanton, we saw Rachel Hill, we saw Alyssa Mortz, we saw all these fantastic Americans come over with her. But Bobby was also responsible for bringing through a lot of young local players. And he was also, I think, he played a really big role in uh, West Australia starting up their first women's NPL competition this season. Um, I, I remember interviewing Bobby uh, at the end of the last W League season about the importance of the NPL, uh, particularly over in Western Australia where there are these young players who don't have very many other pathways uh, available to them outside of like really specific um, sort of NTCs. So him, uh, you know, outside of his W League commitments, he he played a really big role in, in ensuring that the women's game had uh, more of a platform and more of a foundation to build upon over there. So, yeah, and, and as a result of him as well, we've seen a couple of really important young players start to come through Perth's system. We've got uh, Hannah Lowry, for example, Junior Matilda, who's touted by a lot of people, including Ray Dower, um, as a future senior Matilda. We've got Letitia McKenna. We've got uh, a whole bunch of other youngsters who are probably going to play a, quite a big role if Perth do uh, enter a team in the W League this season. And I think Bobby is um, is to thank for a lot of that. And I think it's important to have as many good people in these senior roles in football as possible, especially we know um, uh, Western Australia, much like Victoria, is very much an AFL state. Um, they've got the AFLW. They've got those pathways coming through. Um, Sam Kerr is probably the classic example of a player of if there were AFLW pathways coming through, may not have gone down the soccer route. So I think when you are if you are, and this might be a bit Tim Fall Hattie of me, but if you're trying to attract the best talent and not just attract them, but retain them once you've already identified them, I think you need to have really good people in these roles and pushing and striving to make things better and better. So yeah, it, it's a real shame to see um, Bobby Despotovsky leave and it'll be interesting to see what happens with Perth. And also, Marissa, you did mention Kim Carroll, who was a real vital part of that Perth team for such a long time. Obviously, uh, former, very experienced Matilda, um, such a senior defender who I imagine just would have filled any of those younger teammates that Sam mentioned with so much confidence. I don't think you can underestimate what players get from having those sorts of mature players around in terms of leadership and also just learning what to do and when to do it. And yeah, it's a big loss, a big game for Brisbane Raw, I'm sure, in terms of experience. Um, but yeah, a couple of big departures for Perth Glory. Absolutely. It's 150 W League games worth of experience in Cam, uh, Kim Carroll that they're losing. So it, it is a big hole to fill, but definitely Brisbane's gain. Speaking of extremely experienced players, Lena Kamas has signed for Western Sydney Wanderers. All the talk at the end of last season was that she had played her final game. It was the end of Lena Kamas. The W League was going to be poorer for her absence. And now she's back and she's not only back, she's back in red and black. So Really cool to see that she is going around again. I'm sure she will be terrorising defences 
up and down the country. And we had a couple of victory signings as well. Angela, I'll get you to chat to us about Amy Jackson and Melina Ayres. Yeah, so two names that um, uh, have previously been linked with victory and are probably well-known and well-loved, well, not probably, are well-known and well-loved at the club. Um, Amy Jackson, so she's been in the playing in the dub for a few years now, really rate her. She's, um, a, in my opinion, a great defensive midfielder, brings a lot of um, pluck to that side of things in the midfield, um, also has a killer long shot as well, so a bit of a threat in attack. Um, Melina Ayres, everyone would know her for her worldies, um, really great. Just always, when she scores, it's always spectacular. She just doesn't do, like, modest goals I don't think um and I think Marissa you you've commented on this before but I think it will be really exciting to see Lena Ayres maybe step up and bring a bit more consistency to her game um score a little bit more um get more minutes on the field as well because she has come off the bench um in previous seasons some of the time sometimes she's been a starting player here and there um and also Melina Ayres really exciting thing there is her contract is for three years so that will take us through to the 2022-2023 dub season which is also exciting considering the timeline with 2023 um Anna did you want to yeah I think that's a super exciting thing for Melina Ayres first I know that Jeff Hopkins really rates Melina Ayres, um, has backed her in for a while. I think one thing that we really want to see is Melina Ayres not just be the only scores bangers player because, you know, there's an element of luck with that. There's an element of skill. But in terms of the risk-reward for those goals, yeah, it's, uh, you know, you're probably going to miss a fair few and when you get one and it comes off, fantastic. I think what Victory will want to see, especially with Natasha Dowie gone, is players that can take the basic opportunities, like get in the right positions, create the good opportunities and finish the chances. And I think that's going to be the challenge for Melina Ayres is to get in those really good positions. She's the sort of player who's done that almost apprenticeship at NPLW level, just banged in goals for fun at South Melbourne a couple of years back. So I think that's what we want to see, her take her game to that next level. People forget, because it's the women's game, that strikers, you see it more in the men's game, take time to develop, like, number nines and your, <clears throat> your proven goal scorers. They take time to really find their feet and to find their scoring boots consistently. So hopefully with this bit of faith in terms of a three-year deal, which is massive in terms of the W League, that says to Melina Ayres, I've got the faith of the coach and the club that I can go out and I can be one of these players who takes the league by the scruff of the neck that we talk about literally every week. We bang on about this. Um, I'd absolutely love to see her take that next step and really establish herself as a regular W League goal scorer. And for me, I don't mind if that means she gets lots of tap-ins. She doesn't just have to get bangers because at the end of the day, they all count. And if she's getting more and more, then that can only be a good thing for our forward stocks. Yeah, and going off what our chats last week, her and Zimmerman, that's a pretty uh, impressive front line already. So pretty exciting and also I feel like my fears about Melbourne City just like vacuuming up the Melbourne Victory players from previous seasons have been assuaged it's all good they're all coming back and I love it I think Victory's last two seasons have put a lot of confidence in players or at least they want to stick around they want they've bought into Jeff Hopkins and what he's 
selling or whatever you want to call it and they want to stick around. So I think that's a really uh, rave review of Jeff Hopkins and what he's doing at Victory. A little shout-out to Jeff Hopkins as well, who during the um, end of the A-League season actually went up into the hub with the A-League team and was Grant Brebner's assistant up there, which I'm sure uh, would have been a great experience for him, but also just, a, I guess, a credit to the man and his versatility and, um, yeah, what he's willing to do to help players get better. Victory Med obviously had a lot of young players up there. So, yeah, a bit of a, a unique end to that A-League season for, for Jeff, but... Knowing the guy's probably taken on something out of it that he'll be able to use. And who knows, will our W League players end up in a hub? There's one guy that knows how to deal with it. So it's going to be um, very interesting to see what happens. But yeah, I agree. The players have clearly bought into what Jeff is doing at Victory. And how could you not? Completely turned the place around. So yeah, hopefully we see some of those players step up again. We'll stick with Victory, but it's a little more negative. It's time for the boot. Angela, I hope you've got your boots on. It's your time to shine. So, yeah, jumping off the same topic there. So, Melina Ayers was announced and um, in the the pictures and the visuals that were um, put out there on social media, she was wearing the new Victory Away kit. Um, And that's caught the eye of a lot of um, people who follow A-League, W-League, Victory, non-Victory fans alike. It's a pretty tasty kit. Um, And going back to what we were saying earlier about the Melbourne-Sydney rivalry, Melbourne people really love the detailing on it. It's got like a map of Melbourne at the bottom half of the white kit. Anyway, my boot is that it's not available in a women's cut yet. I'm giving Victory the benefit of the doubt in that maybe something's going on behind the scenes and it will be available, but already they have their home kit available in a women's cut, the new one on their website and funnily enough they announced their away kit around the same time as the Matildas um, new kit as well so maybe it sort of just got everyone was focusing on that so not a whole lot of people picked up on the fact that the away kit isn't available in a women's cut. I don't own a victory jersey um Blue's not really my colour. Washes me out. Got neutral tone, <laughs> neutral undertones leaning more warm, so it's not really for me. But the white kit, <laughs> I would definitely buy that kit, but I'm not just going to buy it in a men's cut because, you know, I want to be a woman. I want a women's cut. Anyway, so, yeah, it's a bit disappointing, especially as some of the other clubs who have announced kits already have them available, like Adelaide have both of their kits available in both men's and women's cut. So, yeah, fingers crossed that will change. Just keeping an eye on it. Maybe this is just a gentle nudge, sort of like when I'm ushering Melon out of the room. Not a boot. Never boot Melon. But you know what I mean. (laughs) Moving along with the foot. And it's probably a couple of weeks too late, but we have another boot from the NPLW New South Wales Grand Final, Sam. Yeah, so uh, another catastrophic injury from the New South Wales MPLW. Uh, Annabelle Martin has torn her ACL. Uh, so she will be, which is really disappointing because she was actually sidelined with injury with Sydney University for a lot of this uh, sort of uh, re, re, rebooted season. Can I use that pun here? I don't know. Um, and, and she only really started to come back towards the back end. And so, yeah, so now she's going to be on the sidelines, uh, for Newcastle. I believe that she was on the sidelines as well for quite a while last season. 
So, yeah, that's super shit. Um, and I apologise to the entire country for Sydney's garbage pitches that seems to just be taking players down like flies. Injury boots. They're arguably the worst of the boots, or they're at least my least favourite of the boots. And, Harrow, we have a final boot, a really shit one, actually. Yeah, this one really sucks. And you feel for Hayley Razzo, who uh, what an awful start to the week ahead of playing that F- FA Cup final. Um Hayley Razzo's family home in Australia was robbed last Monday and Hayley's put out a call out on Twitter. If anybody comes across any items containing my name or any Matilda's national team gear for sale online, to please contact her directly. Um, just a little added thing from me here. In terms of any kits, um, you can actually tell the difference between fan gear and official gear by the, the coat of arms. Um, our national teams, the actual player merch has a proper coat of arms as opposed to the like FFA logo versions. So if you spot anything that looks, yeah, authentic especially or has Haley's name or the number 16 on it, yeah, Haley's the one to contact. Or uh, if you're not com- comfortable making contact with Haley, hit us up at the far post and we'll uh, pass on anything. So, yeah, really rubbish form. Um, you do not like to see it at all. And uh, all the best to Haley and her family. But, yeah, robbing Haley Razzo's family home. Massive boot for that. All right. I think that was a large dose of booting. So let's uh, pump it up. Let's have some more positive vibes. Let's have some how goods. Samantha, hit us with how good. How good is Megan Rapino proposing to her girlfriend, Sue Bird, absolute wospo power couple, finally going to be married. Oh, my God, it was just the best. And and just seeing the reaction from the community, it's just fantastic. Like, I know that people have their opinions about Megan Rapino and the fact that she hadn't played for her club very much and she won all these awards and bloody whatever, but she is a, an absolute icon and she is a, a sensational human being for using her platform and using the moment that she is in to shed light on issues that do not affect her and making sure that she lifts other people up with her privilege. And that is so important in football and in sport generally. And Sue Bird, I think, is an extraordinary woman. She's an extraordinary athlete. They're just ridiculous. I, I I sort of hate it, but that that's my how good for this week. The fact that they're just and they like imagine if they have kids. Imagine the kind of family that they could raise. Oh my god, it's just a whole thing. Sam's overwhelmed. <laughs> <laughs> it was one of those things, though. Like you know, when something goes viral and you see it a thousand times on your timeline and everyone's quote tweet it, and you're like, all right, I've seen it. Like I'm over it. When it came to that photo of Megan on one knee, it was just like. There she is. Yeah. 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 Like, I was excited to see it every time it came up on my timeline and it came up a lot. But, yes, it's a very big how good, a big congratulations to the two of them. Harrow, hit us with a how good. Uh, yeah, Marissa, I've got a massive one. This just made me laugh every time I see it. Um, Lynn Williams, who played for Western Sydney in the W League last season, obviously is also part of the US Women's National Team. Um she uh, couldn't help but notice Bleacher Report uh, have a little stat come up of how fast um, the fastest sprint that Kylian Mbappe had done for PSG in the Champions League, which was 33.98 kilometres an hour. And Bleacher Report had um, actually posted this image and this time with the caption, catch them if you can. So Lynn Williams has put it on her Insta story and said, okay, I can. In the next story... She's posted her own one from Stat Sports 
that lifts her um, speed at 34.24 kilometres an hour. So that's a 0.26 of kilometres an hour faster than killing Mbappe. And the best bit of all, the caption she's put on the story, pick up the pace, boys. <laughs> and then just to double down on it, when it's been shared by Just Women Sports on, um, on Twitter, she's quote tweeted it and said, I'll just be over here running like a girl. Lynn Williams, just sticking it to the man. How good. Sticking it to the man. I love it. I was going to say on that, uh, friend of the pod, Anne O'Dong, also posted about that and shared the very excellent quote from uh, Mia Hamm, which is like, my coach said I ran like a girl. I said if he could run a little faster, he could too. And it's just, yes, you you love the sass. You love the sass. Angela, how good? Yeah, um, another sort of piece of dub news that slipped past us last week, but Ash Wilson was formally announced as head coach um, at the Newcastle Jets for the W League team. She stepped up last season when Craig Deans um, took up a position with their A-League side. It was a bit of a rough season for the Jets, I think, taking into consideration they'd lost some players and had quite a lot of young ones coming in. But as we rattled on about for 10, this is nine nine episodes probably now, um, this W League season will probably be focused on the youth. So, um, yeah, great to see that. She's been at the club for five years um, and really excited to see what she can do having, you know, pre-season and running the joint from the start as well so yeah how good and congratulations to Ash. How good and just to complete the kind of births deaths marriages feel of this entire pod it's a big congratulations to former W League player Helen Caceres and her husband Anthony they had a baby girl Sophia it's another little footballer to be running around and it's always exciting news when there's a baby around so congratulations to those two how good how good Marissa just a general how good from the last couple of weeks um I can't believe we didn't give him a mention last time the Netherlands have all sorts of songs and dances for whenever they win. They were getting around it again the other week when they qualified for the Euros. And it was great to see um, Denmark um, also getting involved. Peniel Harder was posting a whole lot of this. Obviously, for Denmark, they missed out on World Cup qualifications. This is their first major tournament that they're going to be in since the last Euros. So, no, just uh, take a little look on Instagram. We'll share the video. And I think you've just got to... Judge for yourself the sort of content that the Netherlands and Denmark are, are putting out there. It's it's pretty sensational. All sorts of songs and dances. Some you'd expect, some you really wouldn't. So getting around qualification, how good? How good. It's very Euro. It's very good. And with that, that's another episode done from us. Be sure to do all your usual things, liking, subscribing, reviewing. You can follow us on all social medias at The Far Post Pod, and we will catch you next week for more women's football goodness. So until then, see us. <laughs>